So we're celebrating Father's Day today and taking opportunity to thank and gratitude for the father figures in your life, the fathers um, that we, we have known and the fathers that we do know uh, and just to be grateful for them. So uh, to thank you God for you being our father and also for all of the fathers in our lives. Today I'm going to be talking and about and looking at the subject of peace and particularly with our imaginations. So if it's all right, I'd like to pray. Father, thank you so much that you are our Father, you're a God who loves us and you are a God who created us, knows us intimately. Father, would you speak to us clearly? Would you help me to, um, to bring out all that I believe is the treasure that you've given me, God, and that together we would enjoy, we would learn, we would find more of you in our lives. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yes, so God's been speaking a lot to us in recent weeks about the subject of peace. Um, and two weeks ago, Andy talked about anxiety and about finding peace and some of the tools there. And I spoke a couple of months ago about um, uncertainty and complexity in our world and that things are not always straightforward, but that we can find um, trust in God as, as a way through that. And then at the end of May, John T and Verna and the team did an excellent job with the Together Sunday service looking at imagination. And so I'm hoping to weave some themes of peace and imagination together. And I'm going to read a story from 2 Kings chapter 6 verses 8 to 23. And uh, I don't know about you, but um, the, the Bible has lots of bits that we don't understand. And I don't know when you last read Kings or Chronicles but it feels a bit like a boy's own adventure. Um, there's dramatic, fantastic, otherworldly sort of stories in there that are nothing to do with 21st century living. And yet, surprisingly, God has included them in the canon of scripture. And God often uses stories to convey truth. Jesus often told stories and parables, um, and there's a lot that we can pull out of these. The story is set in a time of war and we're fortunate not to have armies invading us every other month or so. Um, so we do need to use our imaginations to get into the story and to allow God to speak to us. Ask yourself, what would it be like to be one of the characters in the story? Whether you want to be the main character, whether you want to be um, a side character, whether you just want to be someone in, in the time it was just happening in your neighborhood. What was going on? What was it like to be in that situation? So the main characters are, there's the king of Syria who wants to attack, there's the king of Israel who wants to defend, there's the prophet Elijah who just seems to tell everyone secrets to everyone, and there's Elisha's servants. So if you're sitting comfortably, we will begin. That's 2 Kings chapter 6 verse 8. Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants saying, at such and such a place we're going to set up camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel Beware, do not pass this place for the Syrians are going there. The king of Israel sent to the other place about which the man of God had told him. Thus he used to warn him, so he saved himself more than once or twice. The mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this, and he called his servants together and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? One of the servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. And it was told him, behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. 
when the servant of the man of God rose early the next morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he said, Don't be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, please open the eyes of, of this man that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Then when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with the blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria, which is the capital of Israel. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? He answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those you've captured with the sword of the bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast, and when they'd eaten and drunk, he sent them away. And they went to their master, and the Syrians didn't come again on raids into the land of Israel. So wow, what a story. Imagine being any of those characters. That's pretty fabulous, isn't it? Imagine being this servant getting early the next morning to do your day's chores, and you find your cities surrounded by a large, angry army, keen to do their master's bidding. Your master's asleep, and you wake him up, and he starts talking about those with us more than those who are with them. Is he, is he losing his mind? What's going on there? And come to think of it, how did Elisha sleep? Um, and he didn't seem too surprised when the servant told him. In fact, I suspect that God showed him in a dream about the Syrian army, but also the angelic army that he was going to send. And then imagine being the king of Syria. And he said, will you not show me which of us is spying? And then perhaps imagine being that servant who bravely said, none, my lord, but Elisha the prophet tells the king of Israel what you speak in your bedroom. Wow, brave servant, but also how cool is that? So this is a fabulous story just to let your imagination roam and just to think a bit more about what, uh, what might it have been like to be there. But as I read and just thought about Elisha sleeping as the army gathered around him, and that reminded me of Jesus sleeping in the boat in the midst of the storm. And if you were in a fishing boat when there's a storm raging, it's going to be bumpy, it's going to be windy, it's going to be wet. Jesus probably did know that there was a storm, but he didn't seem that bothered and he just managed to get some sleep anyway. Perhaps Elisha and Jesus had learnt the secret of filling their minds with what God thinks and that surpassed what their natural senses were telling them. They saw the natural but also the supernatural. How can we find this same peace? Well, a key verse, I believe, is in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And last time when I spoke, I talked about descriptions of our world being volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous. And that in the face of this complexity and uncertainty, our best response was to trust God. So this verse is telling us that you keep him in peace because he trusts in you. That sounds obvious, but if you're like me, 
you'll be asking, how do I trust in God when all of this is going on? Well, let's look again at chapter 26, verse 3 of Isaiah. Now, lots of people study the Bible in different ways, but it's good to dig into it a bit deeper. And there's lots of ways you can find what individual words mean. But what I've tended to do is look at the same verse with a few different translations, because the translators are godly men and women who tried really hard to understand what the original language was saying, and then to put that into more everyday language for us. So I'm going to read a few different translations of this verse. The New American Standard Bible says, The steadfast of mind you keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Very good. New International Version says, You keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. The English Standard Version, which is what I've been reading from, says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And then there's the Passion Translation. Perfect, absolute peace surrounds those whose imaginations are consumed with you. They confidently trust in you. So the different translators have all mentioned peace and they've all mentioned trust, but they've looked at different ways to convey the middle bit about our interaction. What is it that we do? So some said steadfast mind, strong, determined, resolute, sounds good. But when there's a battle raging, it's not always easy to be strong and determined and resolute, but it's very good. And if you can do it, that's great. The ESV, the English Standard said about stayed on you. Now, stayed isn't a word we use very often, and it's easily confused with the other word stayed, which is about being sedate and respectable and pretty unadventurous. He was a bit stayed. That's not what we're talking about. We have a new puppy. Yes, I know, very exciting, very cute. And one of the things we're doing is training him to stay. And any training of dogs works best if you have food. So you can imagine if we have a bowl of food, we have his undivided attention. He doesn't take his eyes off that food. He's not gonna matter what on earth is going on around him. Food's the only thing that he's focusing on. So lots of good ways to think about this, this verse. But recently I read about the read the Passion Translation of this verse. And while it's good to be steadfast, and the picture of a dog fixed on the food is, is quite, quite powerful, there's something really exciting and dynamic about letting our imaginations be consumed with God. So as I was thinking about this, what would that be like? And there's a verse I've often let my imagination roam around and that's Psalm 23 which is a great psalm in general but particularly verse 5 where it says you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies this is quite a scene let your imagination run for a bit the enemies are all around and God's response is not to kill all the enemies lock them all up get rid of them in some way he says grubs up God invites us to a feast before the battle's been won the enemies are still there. So that's great. Thank you, God. What did the enemies do? Just where were they? Did they sort of get at their own pack lunches? Did God keep them in a cage or a prison until we could start battle again? Or were they sort of suspended in lamination, just frozen in space? Did they just sort of freeze until, until their sort of time lapse had finished? So we don't know. You can let your imagination work that one out. But anyway, the enemies were powerless until God said, 
time was up and the meal had been finished. What enemies do we face? Not many of us have invading armies or men wielding weapons, though sadly some do face physical violence and that's a reality for, for some in our city. Nehemiah faced enemies while he was rebuilding the city walls and his enemies used mockery, they used opposition, they used threats and intimidation. They threatened to tell on him to the king of Babylon. Whatever your enemies, God is greater and while the battle can still be raging round, God's invitation is for us to join him at the table, a table of blessing, a table of sustenance, of provision, a table of celebration, a table just to enjoy God. And I, I really don't think this was a, a few cucumber sandwiches and a bottle of water. I'm imagining a big Hogwarts style feast, everything you could imagine, just all the food you'd love to eat there laid out before you. God's not stingy and he wants you to enjoy this, this feast with him. And this often brings us back to the thing always is true in life is that we have choices. Whatever our situation, we can choose where we give our time. We can choose where we give our energy. Where do we give our attention? Is it to the snarling critical voices around us? Or is it to the provision and delight of Heavenly Father, the one who loves us? Let's train our imaginations to see more than our senses and our limited understanding can tell us. And let's ask God to speak to us and show us things from his perspective. And let's be, let's be like an artist. I, I just love watching artists. They see the picture even while they're looking at a blank page. Or the sculptor who sees a block of stone, but he's already seeing the, uh, the, the statue in it. Or the house buyer who sees a wreck of a property and can imagine the stylish, comfortable home that they're going to turn it all into. So people with imagination can look at things that are true and they're there, but they can see beyond it. They can see what it's going to be. They can see how things are going to work out. And a top tip for imagination is to give time and space. Let your imagination wander. One of the enemies at the moment is the, the thief of our time and that's distraction. And I'm as guilty of many. My particular distraction is the news, seeing what's happening. Lots of people get distracted by social media. There's lots of films and box sets to catch up with. There's so much stuff that we can fill our lives with, but we actually need a bit of boredom. We need a bit of space. We need a bit where nothing else is going on. What might my imagination come up with? And worship is particularly good as it draws us to God. We can soak in God's presence. We can just enjoy being surrounded by the love of God and see what he will come up with. So my contention is that God provides peace while we're surrounded by our enemies. Elisha was surrounded by the army. Jesus was asleep in the midst of the storm. Nehemiah continued to build while his enemies tried to discourage him and plot against him. They experienced peace before the battle was finished. They had peace before the storm was calm or before the storm was, will, was built. Do we need everything to be sorted before we can experience peace? Or can we train ourselves to find peace from God in the midst of battle? Jesus spoke many things about peace. Some famous verses in John, John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus said, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give it to you. 
let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. It's a choice there where we let our hearts um, and our attentions be focused. So Jesus' peace isn't the absence of trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. The clue is in the verse, in me, you will have peace. My peace I give to you. Jesus is the peace. He's the Prince of Peace. Peace comes from being filled with Jesus, from an imagination consumed with God. Holy Spirit brings peace. For the kingdom of God, says in Romans, kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Again, in Galatians 5, look at the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, goodness. There's so much that God is peace and God brings peace. And 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 16 has a great prayer. May the God of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. So God is peace and therefore the peace that Jesus gives is himself. And we're filled with the Holy Spirit and the fruit of this is love, joy and peace. This peace is something that we benefit from. But my belief is that peace is more than just God's provision to us. Peace is a commodity, it's something that you have, and therefore it's something that you can give away. When Jesus sent out the 72 disciples, he instructed them in Luke 10, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house, and if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if it is not, it will return to you. That's amazing. We can release peace into our situations. We can change the atmosphere in the natural and the supernatural. And so rather than seeing peace as a passive lack of conflict, I believe we can draw peace from God and release it wherever we are. I believe that peace is active. Jesus spoke peace to a storm and the storm settled. Elisha operated out of peace and brought a whole army to accept terms of peace. Nehemiah allowed peace to help him focus on a task and the city walls were built and the whole city lived in peace and prosperity. And I just have just been thinking about this phrase, um, which seems silly, but I think there's something in it just about weaponizing peace. And how can peace and weapons be there? But just think of it, peace is something that we can launch into situations. Peace is something that we can bomb people with. We can look to the God of peace to release peace into situations that where the kingdom of darkness may be bringing madness and mayhem, we can see the kingdom of heaven bringing peace, bringing calm, bringing provision. The word translated for peace in the New Testament is shalom. And shalom is a wholeness, it's goodness, it's provision, it's peace in every, every way, it's health and happiness. There's so much attached to peace. And just imagine that if each of us found opportunities to release peace into the situations that we're in and that we saw those situations change to become peaceful and the kingdom of heaven advance. So wrapping up, God is peace and peace comes from him. It's not the absence of conflict. In fact, peace can come in the middle of trouble and conflict. But we have a choice. We can choose where we allow our minds to focus where we allow our imaginations to dwell. Let's allow God to grow and develop our imaginations. Let's look to God to show us through our imaginations what he's doing, and let's partner with that. Amen. Just want to finish by praying, so thank you God. Thank you God that you love us dearly.
Thank you, God, that you're our Father. Thank you that you are a God of peace. You are peace. And I just speak peace now to everyone listening. I speak peace now into every situation. God, I speak peace across this whole city. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Let your rule, the rule of heaven, the peace of heaven, come in great, great measure to us as individuals, to our families, to our neighbours, our neighbourhoods, our city, this whole nation. God, let your peace come. And out of that, let revelation about you, about your love grow, the kindness of God leading to salvation. Thank you, God. Amen. Amen. Hope you're blessed. Have a good week. Um, and if you do have any questions, I'd be happy to answer any questions. Perhaps the easiest way would be to email the church office um, for admin and they can forward it to me. But be blessed. Read the Bible. Let your imaginations roam and run riot and see what great th stories and things God can teach you.